Well, good morning, everyone. It's, again, exciting to see you here this morning. Always exciting to hear from the Holy Spirit as we continue to teach the Word. And once again, I want to make sure you understand what's going on. When we hear sermons and teachings, typically we say, and we're not incorrect to say this, what Keith said Sunday morning was such, you know, help, etc. That's right. What Peter said helped me to understand. That's correct. What Evan said, those are correct statements. But I think sometimes we need to make sure we say this. What the Holy Spirit said Sunday morning through whoever it is is speaking. Because we always want to make sure and to try to be as careful as we can to certainly give credit to the work of God in and through one another. That's very appropriate. But to make sure we understand and declare and make very clear that the source of the work, the person behind and in and through the work, is the Holy Spirit, correct? And so I always appreciate when believers begin to adjust their conversation to say, you know, Sunday morning the Holy Spirit just really ministered to me when Keith, Peter, Evan, Ronald, or whoever said And that puts it within the context of God doing a work through his people, to his people, and for his people. Amen? So that's what we're wanting always to emphasize. So this morning we're continuing to talk about the significance of the ascension of the Lord Jesus. And we've been in this a little while, and we'll probably continue in it for a little while longer. And last week we looked at, saw that Jesus is the Father's gift of love to us. Sometimes I think we don't, we don't see it that way. The Father loves us, and how does he manifest, and how does he communicate, and how does he set his love upon us? He does all of that through the gift of his Son. God sent Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so we saw that Jesus is the gift of the Father's love for us, sent into the world to save us from our sin. Why did he save us from our sin? So that he himself, God the Father, could become residential in us, so that his eternal purpose, you are my people and I am your God, can be accomplished And that cannot be accomplished until our sin is dealt with at the cross so that we can be made fit for the presence of God and fit that he can dwell in us by his spirit. And we also saw that Jesus' ability, this is crucial. This is absolutely crucial, not only theologically crucial, but practically crucial in our own lives. That Jesus' ability to manifest the love of God in all of the aspects that he manifested, because everything Jesus did, taught, 
every thought, everything about Jesus was a manifestation of the love of the Father in him and through him for us. And his ability to do this was not according to his humanity. Remember what he says in John 5, 19 and verse 30, these two ver- critical verses. He says, what? I don't do, I can't do what? Anything. I do nothing on my own according to my own personal humanity apart from the presence in power of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at the person of Jesus, when we watch what this man does, we must not associate what he is doing in, 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 in a way that communicates, well, he is great and he is glorious because that's Jesus. No, what we see in this hum, human being, this man, is what God will do in and through us by his spirit. So when we look at Jesus, as we saw last week, what we are doing is seeing the gift of the Father's love to Jesus of the Holy Spirit. God gives us his son to be his gift of love. And he does this by giving the gift of love of his Holy Spirit to his son so that his son may be able to accomplish the father's work of love for us. So every word, every work that Jesus manifested of the father's love for his people was by the power of the spirit. Okay, do we have that? Are we beginning to get that? Are we beginning to get this understanding that I, you, us can accomplish nothing as to the purposes of God apart from the Holy Spirit? Are we beginning to get that? This is why the words that God spoke to Jesus, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus is transfigured. He's white, white, gleaming as the sun. And the voice from heaven, God the Father says, this is my son whom I love, with whom or with him I am well pleased. What kind of a person is God well pleased? It is the person who is led by the Spirit, who is under the control and leadership of God's Holy Spirit who manifests the presence of the Father's love and the activity of the Father's love, as did Jesus, by the Spirit. And so God the Father is certainly well pleased with his Son because of sonship, but he's also well pleased with his Son because of his submission to the Father's will by submitting to the leading of the Holy Spirit who indwells him. And so this need is the same thing that Paul is telling the church. Remember in Philippians 2.13, he talks about, you know, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Work it out. Do God's will. Uh Uh-oh, that puts the burden on me. Verse 12 looks like it makes me the burden bearer of doing the work of God. Looks like it makes me the burden bearer of trying to live for Christ, trying to obey, trying to do the things of God. You understand the word that I'm emphasizing is trying. Because all that we try to do for God fails. Fails. 
I try, I have stopped trying to obey God years ago. I don't try to do it anymore. I don't like the word trying in relation to the things of God. God never tries anything. I hear people say, well, God was trying to do this. God does things. He doesn't try because if you try, what is the potential? You fail. Are you with me on this? And can God fail in anything? Can he? Yes or no? Never. So personally, I don't like that word. Now, I know other leaders will use the word and don't condemn them for it. Just try to understand that they are saying something, but maybe in my mind using terminology that at least personally, I don't like it. What God decides to do, he does, and what he does is fully perfect. Amen? So I don't try to love God. I don't try to obey God. I either obey or I disobey. So Paul says in verse 112, try to work out. You know, it sounds like he's telling you, try to do it. Make sure you do it. But look what he says in verse 13. Here's the way the burden of, I'm sorry, here's the way the command to work out your salvation works on, on the basis of verse 13. That's the foundation. Why? Because it is God. God who? The Holy Spirit. It is God. Which person of God? Which person? Are you all awake? Which person of God? The Holy Spirit. It's okay to say God is at work in me and God is doing that and God is doing that. But I think it's clearer and more to the point of emphasizing the Trinity when we say the Holy Spirit is doing this. The Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you should never say the Lord told me this or God did that. It doesn't mean that. But we want to make sure that we do what God does. He emphasizes his trinity. Now, I know what I'm saying. You know, Paul, I'm not trying to correct Paul. He should have said that because Paul is obviously a trinitarian. He has the word Holy Spirit all over the place. But I say that for our sakes because sometimes we're not clear enough in our communication that the person of God that we're talking about is the Holy Spirit. For it is the Holy Spirit who works in you. Both to what? To give you the will and desire and then the work or the ability to accomplish God's good pleasure. Okay? Do we have it? All right. And what's God's good pleasure? What is his good pleasure? His good pleasure is in Romans 8.29. The pleasure and purpose of God for us is in Romans 8.29. You remember what it says. But he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. This is the good pleasure and purpose of God. This is the fulfillment of Genesis 1.26. This is what the Bible is all about, communicating the purpose and accomplishment of God's love for us, that we would be conformed to the very image of this risen, ruling, and returning divine man on the throne, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In 1 John 4, 9, maybe all of you have read this, we look at the Father's motive for giving the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I should have announced that. We're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. 
And in 1 John 4, 9, we'll look at the Father's motive for giving the Holy Spirit. It says this, in this, the love. Now, is it in your notes? I always say the unique love of God because the Bible, when it says the love of God or God's love, if we are not careful, we associate that love with human love and human activity. And we see somebody doing a great deed. <gasps> That's what God's love is all about. Yes and no. If that deed isn't done by the love of God in us, that is not what God's love is all about. So God's love is what? An unnatural love, a supernatural love, a unique love. God's love is a love that absolutely is devoid in any and every human being until you were born again. Do we get that? So I like to say God's kind of love to differentiate it from human love to make us think, well, wait a minute, you mean there are two sorts of love? Yes, there is self-centered, self-aggrandizing, self-promoting love, which is the love of humans, which motivates every activity of love that we have as a human being. It all is from ourselves whether it's something for someone, it all generates from us and it's all about us and it all says something good maybe about us. But God's love is totally different, anchored in him and is his, uh, it, it is an attribute of his essential nature. Remember, God is love. It doesn't say God has love. He is love. And so in 1 John 4, 9, in this, the unique love of God was made, what? Manifest, keep eye on that word, among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In Jesus, the love of God was manifested to us. In other words, when we see Jesus, we see the love of God being manifested in a man over there. Are you following me on that? So when people saw Jesus, they saw the love of God. But where was the love of God? It was located over there in that man. But it was communicated or being manifested to us, but through that man. But you notice what the word says here. The word says, the love of God was manifested by the Spirit among us. So when he says the love of God is manifested among us, what John is talking about is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The love that was in Jesus is now manifested among us by the Holy Spirit. So when we receive the gift of the Spirit, again, which we talked a little bit about last week, we are receiving the Spirit of Jesus himself. When we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit come in the gift of the Spirit. So we must first emphasize when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, we must first base them in their right context within the context of the gift of the Spirit. 
Too often what happens in the church is that we overemphasize the gifts and what they are and how they function and how we can get them to work for us and how we can uh, identify, uh, how we can benefit from them and all of this kind of activity where we're missing the point. The gifts of the Spirit are the result of us having received the gift of the Spirit. And why is the Spirit given? John 15, 26. The gift of the Spirit is given to us by the Lord Jesus so that the Spirit in us may manifest Jesus. Do we get that? Remember? He's going to testify of me. He's going to bear witness of me. And so we begin to see that the gifts of the Spirit have something to do with the manifesting purpose of the Holy Spirit who was given to me as God's gift of love to me. It's dangerous. It's idolatrous, I think. I would even go that far to locate the emphasis on the gifts. We must place the gifts in their right context. And where should they be placed? In the gift. Are we, are we getting this? See, when a parent gives the child something, the, certainly the child is what? Myopic on the gifts. You understand that, the presence and all that. But what is the glory of the gift? The giver. The gift says something about the one who gives. Do we see that? And that's when we're looking at the gifts of the Spirit. We must keep that in mind. These gifts that we'll talk about in a little bit, if I ever get there, are saying something about the giver. And so we don't want to be a charismatic church, a Pentecostal church, or whatever kind of church that grooves on the gifts. We want to be a church that understands the gifts and believes the gifts and function in all the gifts. Why? Because they all come from the giver who is manifesting the love of God in us. Our view and our understanding of these gifts must be, I think, redirected toward God again rather than about us. So when we receive the gift of the Spirit, we have received the gift of Jesus. Remember, he's talked about the, uh, um, the, he is the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is called, and he's also called the, the um, Spirit of Christ. So this is what Jesus is talking about in John 13, 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? That you love one another. With God's kind of love. So the Holy Spirit is given to us to manifest the love of God. To love the the, uh, love that was in Jesus. And so in giving us the gift of the Spirit, God is giving us the gift of his love that is to be manifested through the activities of his love, which are the gifts of the Spirit. God gives us the gift of the Spirit. How do you know your children love you? Simply because they say it, that's part of it. 
but how do we really practically and powerfully know our children love us? By their actions that are in agreement with who we are and our desires for them. Correct? Is that right? And so I remember years ago, I don't know, I, I was maybe eight or nine years old, and uh, we were staying in Waveland, Mississippi. I, my aunt and uncle would take us, all three of us, every year to Waveland, Mississippi for the whole summer. And I don't know all the circumstances. I don't even quite how I got the money. Maybe I stole it. I don't know. I mean, you know, whatever. <clears throat> but I, on the front, I walked down the front, on the front over there, Mand- uh, Waveland, and went to the main street. What is that, Nicholson or Coleman Avenue, whichever it was, and bought a little blue light for my aunt. I don't know where I got the money. And we're talking about only 2 or $3 in those days. But in those days, that was big money. Some of you may remember back in those days. And I bought this little blue lamp. Now, for me, it was, it was a way of saying, I love you. When she was dying in 1990, she said, make sure you can't keep the lamp. Make sure that lamp for her was a monument. And I didn't know that. I knew she liked it, but I didn't understand what it did to her and for her. I had no idea. Until on her dying bed, she says, she wanted to take the lamp, keep the lamp, whatever it was. The lamp. This little old blue lamp, so I have it in my house. What was it a manifestation of? It said, oh, I am loved. It was a gift that says, love. It was a gift that proclaimed love. That's the essence of the gifts of the Spirit. That's the essence of the gifts of the Spirit. When you give gifts to someone, hopefully you have no ulterior motive of trying to get something back. But you're giving, you're giving what? Love to someone. Are you following me on this? We're giving our hearts to someone when we give gifts. Now, the gift may be a tangible thing or it may be a, a word. It may be an action. But it's something that flows from us to another. You see, that's why the tangible act of giving a tithe is so incredibly important. And I don't know what people give in this room. I know what Gene and I give. But if you're not giving according to the way the Lord says, give me, give it, give me this. This is what I would like you to give to honor me. If you're not doing that, then you're not communicating to the Father in this particular area a, a desire that he wants you to, a way that he wants you to communicate. You're withholding something from God. Wouldn't it be terrible if your child withheld certain aspects of his life from you? Are you with me? I don't want my grandchildren to withhold aspects of their life from me. I want them to be open with me completely and totally. Don't you want that? 
we need to be that way with God. So this morning, if you're in here listening to this and you realize, oh, my word, this applies to me, then say to the Holy Spirit, look, I've not done it right. I'm going to do it, and I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm going to trust you. This is your work, and here it is because I really do love you. Let it go. Let it go and give it to God and watch what he will do as he takes your gifts of love and reproduces in you the power of his presence. See, these, given, these gifts, these activities of God's love, these what are called the gifts of the Spirit. Basically, when we use the word gifts of the Spirit, we basically are referencing 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Are you with me on that? The gift of healing, the gift of tongues, and gift of miracles. Remember those? There are nine of them. So typically when the church talks about the gifts of the Spirit, that's what we're referencing. But I don't want to... I don't want to restrict it because I do not believe that's what we should do. I believe that is a listing of the gifts, not the gifts, if you understand that. But sometimes that's how it's promoted. And I think a little adjustment needs to be made. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are the activities of God's love to us by the Holy Spirit. Let's please make sure we see the gifts for what God sees them and gives them, gives them to be. These gifts are given as proof that God loves us in Christ. But they are also given to prove something else very specific about Jesus. Yes, the gifts are given. And they are God's gifts to us to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm with you. I've forgiven you. You're my child. I accept you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Every gift that we receive from God communicates to us some aspect of his love and the activity and the purpose and the power and the effect of that love in us. Every gift does that. Now, I'm not so sure whether we see it that way, but if we don't, we need to. We need to absolutely see it that way. But there's something very specific that is being said about Jesus in these gifts. They are given to testify of the intra. You know what intra means? Within. Within. The intra-Trinitarian love among the three persons of the Trinity. This is the essence of the gifts of the Spirit. They speak about the Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, the Spirit's love for the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father's love for the Spirit. These gifts speak about the intra Trinitarian love that exists within God himself. The love that exists among the three persons of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what these gifts are all about, essentially. Essentially, that's what they are about. They are given to testify that this is who God is. You see, the gifts of the Spirit testify that the love that exists among the persons of God 
has now been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, Romans 5, 5. Remember, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. The love of God, the love that exists within God among the three persons of the Trinity. That is the love that has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5, 5. We must make, sorry, we must ask and receive an enlargement of our understanding of what God is doing when we read these words. Because if we're not careful, the love of God has been poured into our heart. That means his love for me. Is that what it means? Yes. But is that the enormity of it? That's the revelation and the experience of the enormity of God's love with which he is existing, in which he is existing among the three persons. The enormity of God's love is not that he saved me. That's the revelation of the enormity of God's love. Do you get that? We must not make ourselves the central issue. We would say, man, God... God's love is enormous. How do you know? Because he saved me. Well, that's true. But what is that loving salvation saying about God? It's saying something bigger about God. And that has to do with all of the acts of God. Again, it's so crucial that we take ourselves out of the central place. Can you get say amen? And put ourselves as the means of the revelation of this great God of ours. You see, we're not centrally significant. God is centrally significant. And he declares that in us. Through the redemptive work of his son at the cross. Poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's all about God. It's all from God, and it's all for God. Remember your prepositions. You should have studied them in English. You should have said to the teacher, make sure I get these prepositions because they are very important. (laughs) Where do we and where does the world see the visible evidence that God has highly exalted Jesus and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The gifts of the Spirit certainly declare the love of God. But they declare the love of God specifically in his exaltation of his obedient son, even unto death at the cross. Remember in Philippians? Philippians 2.8 says, Jesus obeyed what? Even to death on the cross. What was the result? 9 through 11. Wherefore also God has what? Highly exalted him and has given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every what? Knee shall bow of things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess what that Jesus Christ is Lord why to the glory 
of God the Father. Do you see it? Specifically, I believe, every single gift of the Holy Spirit given to us in the gift of the Holy Spirit manifests Jesus Christ, the exalted Son of the Father's love. That's the essence, I believe, of what the gifts of the Spirit are all about. And where, in what context are the gifts manifested? In, through, and among us by His Spirit. We don't want to be like junior high kids looking at and seeking the gifts as toys. These are not toys. These are monumental proofs of the greatest revelation of the glory of the intra-Trinitarian love, the very death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation of the Son of God. You notice I don't leave it at the cross. I don't leave it at the cross, neither do I leave it in the resurrection. We take it all the way through. God has highly exalted Christ. That's the goal. Because in that goal, then, the Father's love for the Son that is displayed in the exaltation of His Son, the Son having been obedient unto death, is now to be displayed, deposited, manifested, developed, matured in us, His people. And the gifts, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, is the character. The gifts of the Spirit <clears throat> is a major practical administration of this intra Trinitarian love expressed in the exalting of the Son of God. The gifts of the Spirit are God's testimony that His incarnate Son is now the exalted King of kings, the Lord of creation, the ruling, reigning, returning Son of man. That's what the gifts are all about. So I said that the gifts of the Spirit are a revelation of the intra-Trinitarian love of God. The gifts of the Spirit speak about the Trinity. Listen to these two proof texts that I give you. First one in 1 Corinthians 12 and the second one in 1 Ephesians 4. <laughs> Somebody says, first what, four? <laughs> I was just seeing if you're awake. And Hannah just woke up, huh? Huh? I know she just woke up because she hasn't been giggling the whole time. Oh, you, but, but you didn't look at me. Look at me and see if you don't laugh. <laughs> I mean, my face, I, I've told you this before. I get up in the morning and I have to say, mirror, here I come. Otherwise, can you imagine you've been in darkness all night and all of a sudden the light goes on and this is what you see. Hey, it would crack you up too. It's a shattering experience. The mirror has to be prepared for this. Come on. The same thing for all of you. Prepare your mirror. Here I come. <laughs> it's a bad reflection on you, Ronnie. Now, 
I said that the gifts of the Spirit are a revelation. Let, do, are we getting this? The gifts of the Spirit are a revelation of the intra-Trinitarian love of God. This is what Paul is emphasizing in these two passages. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 5, and 6. Now there are varieties of gift, but what? The Spirit. As one person of the Trinity. Verse 5. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Lord who? Jesus is Lord. That's the second person of the Trinity. Two down and... And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God. You got to get it. As I say, you just got to get this. You just have to get it. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to make this central in this issue of giftings and activities. Listen to Ephesians 4, verses 4, 5, and 6. There is one body and one spirit. First, one person of the Trinity. Verse 5, one Lord, who? Gee, second person of the Trinity, of second, you know, the one we mentioned. Verse 6, and Father of all. How many? All three persons of the Trinity. When Paul introduces the gifts, he does so within the context of making sure that they are from, about, and for the revelation of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the revelation of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is a revelation of his nature and character. And the principal nature, I be, character, I believe, that God is emphasizing is I am a loving God. Everlasting love. I have loved you with what? An everlasting love. People think in the church, will his love stop for me? It never began. Uh, uh, what does everlasting mean? Without beginning and without ending. And how can his love that he set upon you, Charles, ever end? It never began. It is not a time thing. God's love is not associated with us at all. It has nothing to do with our activities. It has to do with his own being. Do we see that? We're too quick to associate God's love with the kind of love that we have. You know, if Porter is nice to me, I'm going to be nice to her. And if she, whatever, walks away while I'm through with her and she's no longer loved by me, that's trash. That's not God. You're talking about human love. Belinda, it's an everlasting love. It can't end because it never did begin. We've not thought of that before, have we? Come on. But what is the Bible saying? Well, what have we been doing all this time? We've been talking about the eternal nature of God, the eternal love of God, never beginning and never ending. You see, you see, oh, my word. You see a glimpse of that in Genesis 14. This strange man, Melchizedek, is a revelation of the high priest without beginning of days and ending of days. What does that mean? It's a revelation of the self-existent God. We call it the aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. Is that how we spell it? I mean, you know that. 
Andy knows these things. Aseity. It means self-existing one. And how is it said? I am. He never has beginning and he doesn't have ending. That's what God has emphasized. Certainly Melchizedek had a beginning and an ending. But he's emphasizing something about the person or the God whom Melchizedek is typing or being a representative of. Let me get going. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. This means that all the gifts of the Spirit, all the activities of God's love for us are proof that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every time you have the privilege of praying, prayer is God's gift to us. Every time you utter a prayer, your prayer is saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every time God does anything in your life, anything, it says what? It's proof what? That there is an exalted man, the Son of God in the heavens. That's what our, the gifts are talking about. If I get a prayer answer, I'm excited about it. But what should you be more excited about? Billy, what? That answer proves what? Jesus is Lord. Everything that God does is a gift. Can you say amen? That means the totality of our lives is a living proof and demonstration that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God the Father for the glory of God the Father. There's nothing about my life that is not a gift. Let me try to finish this. So there are several listings of specific gifts. I have them here. So let me just read through this. Why has God given us the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10? Let me read them. To one is given the gift of the Spirit through the Spirit. See, gift through the Spirit, the Spirit. Notice how often the Spirit is here. The utterance of wisdom into another utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith is a gift of faith by the same Spirit. Another, gifts of healing by the Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. Why are they given? To declare the Father's love to us in the exaltation of His Son. These gifts declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why I want these gifts. I don't want these gifts so I can get a better life and so I can be known as this and I can do this and that and the other thing. It's not about me. It's about the revelation of this exalted, ruling, reigning, returning man from heaven. That's why we are to want the gifts. That's why it's so preposterous for those who say, well, those gifts cease today. What? What are you saying they cease today? So you're saying a block of gifts, a block of proof about God's son that God has given to just that church, but no more. Just give it to them and take it away from there. Where is the evidence biblically? It is a philosophical presentation. It's not a biblical presentation. And there are men who build their ministries on trying to destroy the belief of the church in the gifts of the spirit as recorded in 1 Corinthians 12. Why has God given us the gifts described in Romans 12, 6, and 8? Prophecy in proportion to your faith, service in serving one another, teaching, 
you know, one who exhorts in his exhortation, continue in generosity. You see, I said giving, didn't I? It's here, giving, giving, giving. The way God wants us to give is a gift of the Spirit. And every time I give my offering to God according to the way he leads me to give, I am declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. For me to withhold it or not to give it at all is my refusal to declare Jesus as Lord. Don't refuse him. Why are these gifts to declare the Father's love to us by exalting the Son of God? Why has God given us the gifts in Ephesians 4.11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teacher? Why? Well, we need to be taught. We need to be. Yes, but essentially why? Because they prove the intra-Trinitarian love of God. This is the essence of the gifts. Why has God given us the list of the gift, 1 Peter 4 and on, hospitality? Why? And so, so many. I mean, this is not an exhaustive it, but why? Why? It's all about the declaration of Christ exalted. So, why do we believe that all of these gifts are for the church today? Why? We believe that Jesus Christ is still to be exalted in us, among us, and through us. Why should we desire that the gifts function among us? For the same reason. Amen. See you next week.